The scripture before the lesson this morning is going to be from Luke 19, verses 8 through 10. Luke 19, 8 through 10. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Good morning, everybody. It's like Ohio Stadium out there. It's like a sea of red. There's a little uh, seasonal spirit going around, it looks like. It's uh, our little body of, of people at Pickerington kind of turns into a mixed multitude this time of year, doesn't it? Uh, we've picked up lots of extended family members and friends and visitors, uh, people passing through, uh, people visiting from, from the area. Maybe for your first time here, we just welcome you. We're honored to have all of you. And um, it's a joy to worship God together. It's a privilege to worship God together. If you think about, uh, for example, trying to get this many people uh, together in, in homes, that would be a particular challenge. That was a challenge that I'm sure there were advantages uh, in it in, in uh, the first century before they started building church buildings. Uh, but this is truly one advantage, uh, is to have so many of us to come together to build one another up, to have a nice warm building to come to, right? My toes are still cold, actually, uh, this morning, from yesterday. My toes are still cold, but the building feels good. Beautiful sunshine coming in. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, I get to receive a couple children back, Lord willing, uh, today. Monica's with Taylor. She'll be coming home today, get back later this evening, and then uh, Colton flies in from, from Haiti tomorrow. And um, my week will be filled with interesting stories. So I'm looking forward to having him back and um, having him wind down. It'll be a little bit of a culture shock probably for him, but... Uh, I see our college students uh, mostly have returned, and uh, it's a good, good time of the year, good time to be together, and it's a great time to be thoughtful uh, to people who are in need. It's not an easy time of the year for, for everybody. Uh, not only are there, a, are there a few among us who are down and out um, and, and struggling through some, some difficult health issues, there are those who have heartache, there are those who are missing loved ones for the first time this holiday season, it's the first time you're going through this without them. And there's all kinds of people to be mindful of. So it's good for us to think outside of ourselves, even though we get excited sometimes about um, joys and blessings that we obtain uh, this week in particular. So be thoughtful. And uh, I hope this will help you a little bit this morning to, to be thoughtful. I, I appreciate Keith. Yesterday, uh, I got a call from my scripture reader and a call from my, from my song leader for today, and they wanted to know what was going to be preached. And, and that's always good. And I thank you for your selections today, Keith. Um, we, we definitely um, are in transition this week. Our readings have come to a close for 2015. Tuesday was the last reading, and it was Luke chapter 1, but, but with a little intention, we're going to study Luke chapter 1 as we begin here in a couple weeks to go through the book of Luke uh, and study just one chapter a week. So I have a couple filler weeks. I have a couple filler weeks, and I've had time to think about what to do with them. And, and one of the things I wanted to do was to talk about the mission of this Messiah that's coming, that's, that's, that's been predicted by the prophets, and we've been studying them all year, looking at, at some of the prophecies, not even all of them, 
We've been looking at some of those prophecies. I want to talk about his mission. Wouldn't you know that uh, Luke records his, his mission, and Craig read it for us in the reading today, where he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I entitled this sermon for my own purposes this morning, Big Sandals to Fill. You know, we, we use the phrase, somebody's got big shoes to fill when they step in to try to take on a task that's, that's, that's been etched out for them and, uh, or someone else did it before them. We, we say they've got really big shoes to fill if they're going to try and accomplish that. And I, and I thought of that with this, except, except the Messiah didn't wear shoes. I guess he wore sandals. So he's got some big sandals to fill. And uh, about the time Malachi would have finished recording his messages, that he spoke in a book and, and laid it alongside the, the law and the prophets and, uh, in the temple uh, and to be, to be collected and preserved for, for all history right down to our age, it, it, was, it was becoming very clear that whoever this God-appointed Messiah is, and that's what Messiah means, someone appointed by God, whoever this was that all the prophets spoke of has some really big tasks to fill. Whoever God would send, uh, he, would, he would have to enable him to do some pretty awesome stuff. And uh, I'm going to give you a list of just a few of those things that we've looked at in review, so to speak. From the beginning, this one whom God would send, this anointed one for God's special purposes, whom we, whom we know is Jesus. There's no mystery there today. But what all he would do is what we want to look at. He would crush Satan under his feet for the sake of men. Genesis 3.15. He would overcome him. He would bless every family of the world. Genesis 12.3. He would possess the eternal attributes of God in his power, wisdom, glory, and majesty. Isaiah 7 and 9. He would govern the affairs of men, be ruler over the nations of men, in other words, Isaiah 9, verse 6 particularly. He would enlighten and counsel the world of men, Isaiah 9, 2 and 42, 6. He would usher in and mediate a new covenant or agreement between God and man, Isaiah 42 and Jeremiah 31, and he would preach as part of that covenant the gospel, which is the good news, I'm quoting from Isaiah 61, the good news, he would heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to sinners and release them from prison, comfort those who mourn, bring them joy and present them to God for His glory. Out of Isaiah 61. He would live a sinless life before God and men. 2 Samuel 7:14. He would restore righteousness on the earth, Isaiah 48, 8. He would shepherd the people in gentleness and vigilance, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and many other prophets spoke. He would endure the cruelty and reproach of the people He came to solve, many places, but particularly Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. Of His own will, He would take the sin of the world upon Himself, and in an unselfish demonstration of love, lay down His life for sinners. Isaiah 53. A couple more. He would be raised from the dead by the power of God. Psalm 16. And He would judge the world in righteousness as the one to whom we must give account. 
Deuteronomy 18, 17 and 18. That's a lot of things to do. More, more importantly, and more especially, that's a lot of things to be. Wouldn't you agree? How would you like that for your job description? Here's a list of the things I'd like you to do and have some of those be the part. I want you to possess the attributes of God. Well, these are the type of things that, that Israel was expecting. And incidentally, they didn't know really what to look for as far as what he'd look like in a man. But if he's a man, he's got an awful lot to try to do. But he, if somebody can fulfill all of these things, I think it points to the fact that he's not merely man, that he is this this appointed one of God, come from heaven, the Son of God, and to use his favorite designation for himself, Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Every designation and description given in the, of the Messiah in the Old Testament and the New Testament could be placed into two categories, seeking and saving. Just think about that for a minute. All of the titles, all of the designations, all of the descriptions of His work, they could all be placed under those two things. The act of seeking out men and how He would do that, and then the act of saving them and keeping them saved. It is to Zacchaeus, a short-statured tax collector, to whom He makes this marquee statement of his mission, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham, Jesus said about him. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19, 10. Who is the Son of Man? Let's talk about a couple of these phrases and terms. The Son of Man. Why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? There's, there's much written on this and there are there are many uh, different viewpoints that can be brought up. I don't think there's just one correct answer. Some say it's, it's uh, referring to the way that he re um, uh, came in a lowly estate and made himself a little lower than the angels uh, to, uh, in, in humility to take the sins of the world upon himself and offer himself for men. He, he became subservient to men. Well, there's some truth in that, but I think the best explanation comes from a prophecy we looked at briefly a few weeks ago, and that came from D Daniel chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Jesus called Himself the Son of Man. Now listen to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and see if you think this might be what He had in mind in using this term. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Referring to that prophecy in Daniel 2.44 that we did take more of an in-depth look at when we when we showed the image up here, the image of gold, etc. And that kingdom that would come in during the, during the reign of the Romans and establish His kingdom, and it would disperse and, and integrate into all of the kingdoms of men and become the predominant, everlasting kingdom of God. 
into eternity. So when Jesus calls Himself the Son of Man, if you're a Jewish person, and you hear that term Son of Man being used, what your mind is going to take you back to is this prophecy of the Son of Man being brought before the Ancient of Days, the Eternal Father, and being given a kingdom with glory and sovereign power. And um, this kingdom would never be destroyed. And here we are today in 2015, by the way. Don't forget that for 2,000 years, men have not been able to destroy this kingdom. And so it's, it's uh, working beautifully even among us today. But this is perhaps, I believe, the, the strongest argument for what Jesus means when He says the Son of Man. And when you look at the uh, Scriptures through the New Testament, which we'll look at some in coming weeks, you see Him often referring to the Son of Man in the presence of the Father. The Son of Man will come with clouds. And uh, perhaps the most uh, uh, famous reference to this, uh, apart from, from His usage uh, with Zacchaeus, is when Jesus stood before the high priest and the Sanhedrin council, and those false witnesses were failing to get their story straight about him so that they could accuse him. And finally, the, the high priest said, well, who do you say that you are? He said, art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, with the Ancient of Days is the image, sitting on the right hand of, uh, of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Well, that's a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7. And he understood himself to be that pre-existence Son of God, the Messiah, the King of the everlasting kingdom which shall not be destroyed. Well, what does it mean that this Son of Man then, who Daniel foresaw, would seek and save the lost? Well, it'll take many weeks to develop this idea. That's why we're going to study Luke. But let me point out a couple of things about this. I want to make an interesting note right off the bat. Um, something that I, I have not often thought of uh, because of, of my estate and, and your estate. And that is that uh, God did not create us. Now listen carefully. God did, did not create us to be saved. He created us for His glory. And so when we talk about salvation, it's a reference to our scandalous departure from God's glory and, and our helpless state of affairs here on earth. It's a reference, salvation is, to the great rescue mission of the Son of Man who came to restore that glory to God and that He might glorify us. You see, this is the overarching uh, uh, vision and desire of God is that when He created man, He would create man for His own glory as men uh, were created in His image and would relate to Him and serve Him and there would be, uh, He would be among them as He was in the garden, remember, from the very beginning. Like, this is God's desire, okay? Salvation refers to when things go wrong. And so whenever we're talking about salvation, we're talking about that aspect of God's, of God's will that needs to be fixed, the broken aspect of it. And so He didn't just create us to hear the gospel and, and, and be baptized. He created us for His glory. However, the mission of the Messiah is to come through this preaching of the gospel 
that he would lay down his life for us in our stead and that we might, we might employ his blood uh, and cover ourselves with his blood and atonement so that God would be able to forgive us and let us go free, but that we might be restored to him in a glorious state, that we might be sanctified or be made saints and be made pure again and restored to that rightful state that he intended for us from the beginning. And so when we refer to somebody being lost, we're talking about someone who has departed from God's will through sin. They've made decisions that have discluded God from their lives. They have, they have dethroned God as God and, and become their own God. And now we're talking about a person who is separated from God because of disobedience. They're lost. Uh, they're, they're wondering about through this life that those same people may say, well, I know exactly who I am and what I'm doing, and this is what I'm going to do with my life. But concerning eternal life, the eternal perspective, God says, no, you're lost. You're going in a wrong direction. Uh, you're going to find yourself in a, in, a, in a position where you're not in control. You're going to find ultimately in the end that you're, that you're completely separated from me, your creator, whom, whom I created for my glory. Listen to what Isaiah said in chapter 43, verses 7 through 11. Listen carefully to this. Everyone, God said, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And so he's calling the people to see that, that the correct worldview for us uh, to encompass is that there is a God who has made us to reflect His image in us as we live out our lives here. And He's calling us to this glorious state. But when we disobey God, when we reject Him, and when we rebel... We depart from Him and wander in a state of lostness. And this is why Jesus came to seek men. He's seeking those who are lost. And it's also how He came to save men. He provided the way back to the Father. And so salvation is the means back to the end. Back to the beginning, I should say. Or it's the means to the end. We'll deal with that some more in upcoming weeks. But I want you to think about that. If, if, if you don't take anything else away today, take away that. Okay? That, that, there is a, that there is an overarching will of God for your life, and that is to share in His glory. And uh, salvation is a means by which we're restored to that. In Luke chapter 19 we get a glimpse of Jesus seeking and saving the lost. I chose that reading not only for the mission statement, if you will, but because it's a great working definition of seeking and saving the lost. If you see him coming into the town where Zacchaeus was in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus hears him coming, that he's coming, and this tax collector, mind you, uh, though he be despised among his fellow Jews, 
uh, for his deceitful practices and not only collecting taxes for Rome, but also for extortion, for pocketing more uh, than, they, than they were supposed to be taking from the people. Uh, not only is this the case, but this is a man who um, was uh, well, well kept, if you will, uh, an upstanding uh, person. And picture someone, if you will, maybe in a suit and tie, climbing a tree in a crowd of people. I mean, it's kind of a silly picture. It's a, it's a humorous picture. But this is a businessman, and uh, he's short, short in nature. We sing he's a wee little man. And he, and he looks around like, how can I see him in these hordes of people? And he decides to climb a tree. And we laugh a little bit at that, that picture in our minds, but Jesus, not only was, was he in view now for Zacchaeus, but, but Jesus could see him. And there's, there's something more than just the material aspect of that involved. See, what Jesus saw was not just a man who wanted to lay his eyes on him, but he was hungry enough for who Jesus was to, to climb a tree and make himself look foolish so that he could, he could learn more of him. And Jesus perceived this about him when he was coming into this town, and he invited himself over to his house, which is humorous in and of itself as well. Uh, Jesus didn't have a habit of inviting himself in. He was invited in by people and hosted and treated uh, like Mary and Martha and uh, Lazarus in their home. Uh, they went out of their way to, to host him and make him comfortable and take care of him. And that's where the squabble between Mary and Martha came up. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm coming to your house today. Come on down from there. And so we read of this account <clears throat> where he entered Jericho. And in Luke 19, 1 and 2, uh, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. There we get the first glimpse into his, into his heart, uh, that, he would, that, he would, that he would climb a tree, but that he received him joyfully. That's what he wanted. He wanted, a, he wanted a closer look at who Jesus was. His heart was yearning for this man. But when they saw it, they complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Those his, his critics, those who weren't seeking him for who he was. Then in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, as Craig began to read for us, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, and he did, I restore fourfold. And this is where Jesus made this statement. Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In this restoration process, we see a few things going on. First of all, that which Jesus promised on the mountain, in His Sermon on the Mountain, that if you seek, you'll find. He gave the compliment to that in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well when He said, the Father is seeking true worshipers to worship Him. 
Now, I've mentioned this before from the pulpit, but this is very important for us to be reminded of and understand. God is expecting us to seek Him, for He is not far from us, Paul said in Acts 17. Yea, He even is among us and moves among us. We can see Him uh, from His manifestations in nature, but we can come to know Him upon calling upon His name. He will begin to respond to men who are seeking Him. So He says, seek, Jesus said, and you'll find. You'll find. Because God is seeking you, John chapter 4. God is looking for you. And so what do we have when He comes into Jericho? Here's a man who climbs a tree to see Him, and Jesus sees him at the same time. This is the, 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 the picture that, that God is trying to draw for us to look for him. And he said, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, I also assume from this that Zacchaeus was searching for him with all his heart. Because he said, you'll find me if you seek for me, seek for me with all your heart. See, we learned some things about Zacchaeus here in Jesus' response. Then Zacchaeus repents. He repents. And as much as is possible, he makes restitution. He offers to make restitution to all those people from whom he extorted money, because he has their names. He has records of it all. He also knows how much more he took than he should have from them. So it's within his power to say, I'm going to restore their money. But he says, I'm going to restore it full, fourfold because I'm going to turn my life around to where I am a blesser where I am a giver like you. See, there's a lot more to this than just this wee little man uh, that Jesus comes to dine with. We're, t- we're looking at a man here whom Jesus perceived that had repentance and restoration in his heart. And he offered to, he offered to bless those people against whom he sinned. And this is where Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Here's a man who's seeking me He's willing to repent and convert his soul. And I will save these types of people. These are the kind whom I have come for. Reminds me of another place in Isaiah where he said that God is seeking him who is poor and of a contrite heart and who trembles at my word. Isaiah 66.2 And where Isaiah said the Redeemer will come to Zion and he'll turn those from transgression in Zion who seek Him. And so he's turned this man's heart around in this beautiful short account. And so this is the place where we come today to end our journey from creation to Christ and start looking at Christ and His life as He moves toward the cross. And it has brought us to the New Testament's presentation of the Son of Man. But now we're going to take up our journey with Luke as he makes the case that the one whom he had been following from the very beginning was indeed the Son of Man, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Now you'll have to be the judge in upcoming weeks as to whether this Jesus who is presented to us in the Gospels, and we're going to look at Luke, is the one who fulfilled all of those prophecies in the Old Testament. Luke's going to set out a record of this Jesus, and he is convinced from following him from the beginning of his ministry, he is convinced that this is the Son of Man that Daniel spoke of 
in Daniel 7 when he said, I saw him coming in the clouds, of, coming to the Ancient of Days, and being given a kingdom and power and sovereignty and glory. This is him, Luke says. But you be the judge. That's why we're going to journey through this on our own. You will not be converted in heart if you're just told Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that we need to experience the journey with Him as these early disciples did. I believe we need to ask all the hard questions that were asked of Him. And we need to trace through the Scriptures with Him as He's revealed to us and make decisions for ourselves. Is this the one who's able, this, this carpenter's son from Nazareth, is, is He the one whom God was referring to from Genesis chapter 3 as being sent to save men from their sins and to be made king in God's eternal kingdom? And is He the one to whom we must give an account? I have a question for you today. How many trees have you climbed to get a closer look at the Savior? When God looks at you, does He see a tree climber? Do, do you capture His attention by, by the way that you're seeking to be restored to glory with God? By the way that you're, you're hurting because of sin in your life? If He came into your town, would, would He see you amongst the crowd and say, now I know that that's one who's seeking me right there. I'd like to come to their house and dine with them. That's a good question to ask yourself. Would you, would you be so silly as to climb a tree in front of your peers and your friends and your co-workers to get a closer look at Jesus? These are the types of things that people are doing that are saved. These are the types of things that we're seeing in the Scriptures. Now, He has found us to be sinners. But has He found you to be a seeker? Has He found a soul to save in His everlasting kingdom? These are questions for you that I want to leave you with for today. And it may be answered today with accepting Christ Jesus into your life as your Savior. But also in upcoming weeks, to take a very close look, a personal examination, and to make a decision if He's going to be your Lord and Savior or not. Keith's picked out a song for us to sing. I want to ask you to stand. And if you need to